and welcome to the Logistics Tribe. I'm Boris Felgendreyer, founder of the Logistics Tribe, and today we're talking about supply chain challenges in the automotive industry. Our guest is Robert Cameron, who heads up the production, logistics, and aftermarket department at VDA, the German Automotive Industry Association. Our host, Marco Prühlmeier, sat down with Robert at the recent Trends in Automotive Logistics Conference in Pilsen, Czech Republic, and talked about the transition to e-mobility, the developer needs for semiconductors, collaboration in automotive manufacturing, the role of AI, demographic challenges, and much more. Please enjoy. Robert, welcome to the Logistics Tribe here at TAL Conference, Trends in Automotive Logistics. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. You are responsible in the VDA for production, logistics and aftermarkets. So exactly the one that is interesting for the Logistics Tribes audience. And just to explain for our audience, the VDA is the German Automotive Industry Association. So let us talk a little bit about the car industry. The last years, and I happened to be part of it also at BMW, there was a lot of talking about the ACES, so-called ACES, which is autonomous, connected, EV, change to EV, and the shared economy. Are these still the challenges of today or do you see any additional challenges after the last four or five years? Those are the main challenges that we're focusing on because the trends are changing the supply chain. They are changing the focus materials that we are taking a look at, which are causing shortages. The two main new critical components that we're looking at are semiconductors, which will need a much larger scale for these three trends, and battery cells, which we will need in the electrification, which is, in my opinion, the largest of the three trends as far as supply chain movements are concerned. Yeah, let's jump right into the semiconductor issue, because this was also part of your talk here at the TAL. And to be honest, it was very interesting for me because I was not aware of the impact that the change towards the EVs, the electric vehicle, would have on the semiconductor side. I was aware, but not about the criticality and the amount of the change. So maybe you can try to explain it again without any slides for our audience because this was really interesting. I'd be happy to. All three trends require more semiconductors. However, with the electrification, it's the case that the amount of semiconductors per car is going to increase exponentially. If you take a look at the powertrain and compare the powertrain of an internal combustion engine vehicle with an electric vehicle, then you will see that you need 10 times as many semiconductors for an electric vehicle. We're talking about roughly, on average, 35 semiconductors for an internal combustion engine for the powertrain and 350 for the battery electric vehicle. And these are mature node sizes. And why are they mature node sizes? Because technologically and sticking to the laws of physics, we need those to manage the electricity and the battery control systems, the battery management systems. Just to explain a little bit deeper here, the node size is basically what they in the semiconductor industry are referring to with the nanometer scale. Yeah, So the, the small sizes is the one that you need for 
GPUs and the, the high processing power and the large size, how would that be distinct of these really small sizes that we hear all in the news, like from five nanometers and downwards even? How are they distinct and why is it that electric vehicles need more the larger amount? We divide them into categories. The small node sizes are usually 14 nanometers or smaller. Mm -hmm. Then the medium sizes are either 28, 65, something around that. And the large node sizes begin with 90 nanometers in our analysis and in our category. And the smaller node sizes are basically necessary for telecommunication for mobile phones and so on and so forth to get more power into a small confined space. However, the electric charges that we have in a battery cannot be handled by such small technology. It would fry them. So we need robust or larger node sizes. And that is the main component of an electric vehicle. You have the battery management system, which is responsible for maintaining the power transfer and the, the control between the different cells. cells yeah. Okay, so at a first glance, it seems to be easier because we only need the larger nanometer scale. So is it actually easier or is the effect that we get even worse because we are focusing or this one category is growing so much for us? The thing is, in the trends, roughly a third of the semiconductors that we need for the A and ACEs, the automated, are large node sizes, 50% in connected and 80% in electric. The problem that we have is that there is, at the moment, a global capacity for the production of these large node sizes. And the capacities are based on a growth that was based for the automotive industry on the number of vehicles that are being produced. In total, we're producing less vehicles globally than we did before Corona. However, the content per vehicle is increasing. And to get this message across, we're not producing more cars, but we still need a lot more chips than we used to. That is the challenge. And that is what we're working on at the moment to say this is a technological trend. This is a technological disruption. And in order to realize both our goals for electromobility and to stay in accordance with legislation for electromobility, we need these uh, semiconductors. And mentioning legislation, I, I learned in your talk today that there is a program which is called FIT 455. It's an EU program. And the outcome will be that by 2030, so not even seven years ahead, we need 65% EVs in average. Right? So it's not each country, but in average. And this is driving also need for the semiconductors, ultimately. It is, yes. The Fit for 55 is saying that all the, not the newly produced, but the newly registered vehicles in the European Union in 2030 65% of those vehicles will have to be electric vehicles. If you take a look at this, at the moment, we are forecasting roughly 14 million new vehicles, both in the European Union and in the UK and the EFTA trade zone. And if you take a look at 65%, that's more than 9 million, more than 9 million electric vehicles that we have to produce by then. And of course, it will be dependent on the charging infrastructure that we have there. It will be also dependent on the 
support in governments and so on and so forth, and also in the acceptance of these models. And we see that there's going to be a difference in the different European countries. We see that some countries will probably be more around 20 or 30 percent. In order to balance that out, countries which have a more extensive loader and charging infrastructure will have more than 65 percent, 85, 90, 95 percent, or close to 100 in order to even that out. And if you calculate it through which seemingly you, you have done with the VDA, then it turns out that we will have probably a gap of wafers of 12.7 million wafers per year if we wouldn't do anything on the semiconductor cell. Between 2022 and 2030, yes, that is the gap of what we currently are producing and what we need based on the three trends in 2030. That is the case and we have to make sure that this gap is closed and what we are doing now is we're analyzing where we need to invest or where the semiconductor industry needs to invest and how we as automotive industry can help and support them to make sure that the capacities which are needed will be built and will be built in a location either the European Union or a country which has no supply risk where we can secure our supply chains. Yeah, that would have been my next question. What is the result on the supply chain side? and How do we encounter these challenges in the logistics world? And one other question that I have is, you are also into production and logistics, and we are also having more and more autonomous driving there in form of AMRs, autonomous mobile robots or AGVs or however you call it. And they also have BMSs, and is this also affecting the semiconductor shortage, or is this a different category that is not affected? You have different batteries and you have different power there, so, so of course you will always also need semiconductors there, but you will not need them in the amounts that we, which we, where we will need yeah. them with the vehicles. So it adds something to the, the shortage yeah. that we have, but it's it, probably neglectable, right? Nothing is neglectable, no, but it isn't the big area where the shortage is there. So, and to close this gap, the only thing what we can do in all Europe is actually build fabs, right? So That is true. That is the case. In Europe, we have the European Chips Act, which has an equivalent of 43 billion euros in government subsidies for this. And what we as the VDA are trying to do now is to speak to local governments, to speak to national governments, to speak to the European Union, to inform them of the actual demand in Europe. And the two largest industries who have a demand for semiconductor in Europe are the industrial manufacturing and equipment mm -hmm. industry and the automotive industry. And both these industries have a similar demand as far as technology is concerned, which means we will have to invest these 43 billion euros in capacities for the technology which the European industry actually needs. And it is our greatest challenge to get this message across sure. that we need everything, of course, mm -hmm. but in large amounts, we need the large node sizes, the mature nodes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and to make it more aware to people that there is something, we have to do something on this side, right? Getting back to the four ACEs, one of them also is autonomous driving. What's your view on that? We have 
five levels of autonomy in technology. Uh, we're at level three right now. We're talking about level four. And it's a development going on. I'm not an engineer, so I can't tell you how far it is ahead. But personally, from my inner feeling, I think that we still have a way to go until we have reached level five. So we will be concentrating on perfecting level three and level four, and then we will need the semiconductors for the other trends. Mm -hmm. And I think that the, the question of connected is something because it offers so many opportunities right now for services and so on, that that is going to be something that will be done quicker. And then it will also evolve in steps like the different levels and also the region, right? The autobahn driving is a different thing than in the crowded cities and so on. It is. Plus, you have mixed traffic. That is always the big thing that you have to keep in the back of your mind. You do. If you have autonomous vehicles and vehicles that are older and that do not have this function, they have to function together in an ecosystem as well. Which brings me to another topic. And you mentioned working together with different vehicles. And several years ago, that's actually where we met the first time, we started something in the VDA and VDMA, so the Machinery Association, which was called a VDA 5050 standard and is still called like that, which takes care about the interoperability of AMRs and AGVs. In hindsight, how did it turn out this project and what importance do you yeah, see in this project? We're actually very proud of this project because there have been several attempts to get a standard communication interface between the AGVs of different suppliers and the central steering system. And we were successful in this attempt. We were successful because we brought customers and producers together in one table and we tried to get the interests of both parties covered in talks and we developed this technical recommendation together. And what the most important thing is, we didn't keep it in a small group, but we put it on a open source platform so that each and everybody who is interested in this technology can make change requests and see that it is adapted to their technology as well. It is not exclusive, but inclusive. And I think that is the success and it filled a gap. We have several trends in-house logistics. One of them being is that we don't have much more shop floor room and whatever shop floor room we have is being used for more production because the powertrain is getting more complicated. We have several different powertrains which we have to produce and that's why we have very little space for logistics alleys. And how, what we do then, we automatize. Mm -hmm. And we have so many different functions and so many different parts that we have to transport, that we need different types of ATVs. And this interface allows us using that. So that is the trend. And I think it gets expanded over the time because I think in the last release, you included also the handling of maps for the vehicles, which is also an important step and an important topic. Will this go on? It will go on in the future. We have a cooperation, the VDMA and the VDA, with an external partner who manages the GitHub for us. Mm -hmm. And this is, as long as this interface is relevant and is accepted by the market, we will continue developing it and updating it whenever needed. 
And since we have all the change requests coming in over the open source, over the GitHub, we always have a lot to process and a lot to update. And do you see an adaption of different industries of this standard and not only the automotive industry using it? Because I've been to the Logimat just a few days ago and I saw a lot of companies actually advertising with the claim it's VDA 50-50 conform. And I think my impression was that it's riding a lot also in other industries, but I don't have any, any data on that. I don't have any data either, but what I hear is that that is true, that that is the case. And people participating in the GitHub are of different industries as well. I think that was one of the benefits with working with the actual producers of the AGVs and creating this recommendation together with them, that they sell their products in different industries. And of course, they advertise them in different industries as well. And this is the problem that we're facing with the, the limited space in production in the shop floor is not an automotive-specific development. It is a development in industry as general. So everybody is seeking a solution for that. And that's why everybody would benefit from this recommendation. Mm -hmm. And uh, you also mentioned a new standard or a recommendation. Was it VDA 6000 or something like that? That is a recommendation or a position paper that we have, VDA 6000. We have a committee, the production committee or the production council, however you wish to translate it, which is a regular body in the VDA and consists of the board members responsible for production of the major suppliers and OEMs. And they got together in a project group and they tried to create a vision of how the assembly lines, how the body shop lines, how the production as itself would look like in 2030, how it would deal with the different developments in powertrains, how we would employ AGVs, but also the relationship between shop floor and management and office, the relationship between technology and personnel, and also the relationship between the factory and its surroundings, the community around it. And we put out a position paper there, the VDA 6000, which captures our vision and which I believe is a very attractive way and a very attractive goal for us as an automotive industry to go. Mm -hmm. Does it also include the logistics part or to what extent does it include the logistics? As it, since it is a production focused paper, of course it goes to the shop floor. It doesn't take a look at the warehousing in general, but however, it does say that for the flexibility, we need to have a new form of cooperation between suppliers and OEMs. We have to have new organizations. We have to get the two parties closer together to increase the flexibility and to reduce the reaction time. So that in that case, you do have supply chain topics in there, but in general, it is a production paper. But still possibly interesting for our logistics audience. Production is always been yeah. interesting for logistics, <laughs> at least I think so. Yeah. Absolutely. You also, in your talk, you suggested some recommendations on the supply chain side. And I remember one sentence that you said was, it's about supply chain management and not supply relations management. Can you explain about that sentence? Yes, and generally in supply chain management, we tend to focus on the tier behind us and the tier in front of us. And we don't know the other members of the supply chain. 
we partially we would be interested but we're not allowed to because no or we don't know because we do not have direct contracts with them on the other side sometimes we don't care either because we have enough to do with the actual tiers that we are connected to i call that supplier relations management because then you have the relation to your direct supplier or direct customer but not an overview of the entire chain and for me that is a misuse of the term supply chain management because supply chain management encompasses the entire supply chain and especially for critical components such as semiconductors and battery cells, we will need to know the entire course of the supply chain. We will have to know where does it start with the raw materials and where does it end with the customer and also with the aftermarket. This entire loop, this entire chain, we will need that to secure the supplies that we need, especially with the large upscaling of the electromobility that we are facing right now. Yeah, some of the factors that you showed, the multipliers, were even larger than the 10x multiplier of the computer chips, right? It was like 17x or something like that for lithium and so on. Yes, but that was, like I said, I also said that that's an extreme scenario based on currently known sources, on currently processed sources and current technology. If we take a look at the future and say that the technology of the battery cells is going to change to use less of these materials and that we are going to create new capacities to get these raw materials and to process them, that might change. But it's always a nice wake-up call to say if everything stays the way it is at the moment, this is what we're facing. Do you actually know that? Yeah. Were you aware of that? And that's why, although it is an extreme scenario, I always like to show it as a little wake-up call. Yeah, and I think that's good. And what are the geopolitical and the consequences for globalization in that perspective? We have to secure our supplies. And basically, something that we've learned out of the pandemic is that we have to partially secure our supply chains with local deliveries. So instead of an indiscriminate global sourcing that we had in the past before the pandemic, we will have to be selective. We will do selective global sourcing and selective local sourcing. And it, maybe we'll source one part both globally and locally in, in different fractions and so on and so forth. But we will have to make sure that in the course of our risk management, that no matter what kind of risk we have, be it a financial risk based on inflation rates for a certain currency, be it natural catastrophes, be it political ramifications or so on and so forth, we will have to make sure that our supply chains are resilient and we will have to take a look at all measures, be it increased stock keeping, be it multiple sourcing globally and locally, be it changing our technology in order to do that. So there will be quite some changes also on the overall supply chain side we will face in the future. So we were covering right now the technological aspect, the geopolitical aspect, but there is a third point that you mentioned, which is the demographic aspect. A lot of the baby boomers going in retirement and not enough workforce anymore <laughs> to do the job. Yeah. So is this a call for more automation? Is this a call for a retraining for of people? Or what do we take out of that? It's a combination of several factors. We will not be able to solve the solution with the technology alone and with the artificial intelligence alone. 
However, what we are facing is the situation is that we have more work because the supply chain is becoming more complex and more volatile for less people coming in and doing the work. So what we have to do is to make this increased workload manageable for the existing reduced workforce. And that is something where AI can help, but we will have to keep the workforce as large as possible. And there's several types of factors that we can employ. We can encourage older employees to stay on longer. We can retrain existing employees with skill sets that we need that cannot be automatized. We can increase our attractiveness for young people that would have studied something else to cut time to us. And we can try to create incentives supporting families to reduce the number of, of part-time jobs and get them to full-time. We won't make it all, but there are several screws that we can turn in order to make this. And I think we will have to do that because the situation is there's more work and there's less people and somehow we have to deal with it. <laughs> and you also mentioned already one, one solution or possible solution or one puzzle piece that could fit and that's AI. And it was a big topic also here at the TAL conference already. How do you see AI and are there any initiatives that, that you are following on in the VDA for AI, especially, of course, for logistics and production? What's your take on that? We have several. Basically, AI is something that each and every one of our members is uh, testing for themselves. There are separate small solutions that they're testing both in logistics and production. What I think is that we will need to have a red flag management is what I like to call it. So we would have, we'll have to have tools which manage the complexity of the different flows in the supply chain. And if something is out of order, then a red flag comes for the employees to judge upon and to make a decision. And the AI can also support to see what effects that decision would have, but the AI will not be able to make the decisions for them. And I think we need some kind of support there just to deal with the complexity, but we will still need humans to actually manage the complexity. Okay, so very good insights on the automotive industry and logistics also. And thank you very much, Robert, for this interview and also for the excellent talk here. Uh, it was really a good wake-up call. Yeah. <laughs> in some direction so I, I really enjoyed it thank you very much thank you very much for having me all right that was the logistics try podcast episode with robert cameron from the vda if you like today's show please make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any of the future episodes i'm boswell andrea until next time